Hey gang, Red Hills Rancher here with another episode of Ranching Reboot. we got a really special treat lined up for you today. A lot of people have been asking questions. What is blockchain? What is beef chain? And what the heck is cryptocurrency? Our guest today, hopefully we can get some of those questions answered. He's from Wyoming, he's a cattleman, and he's involved with beef chain. So welcome to the show, Drew Pearson. Drew, welcome to Ranching Reboot. Hey, thanks, Dad. Excited to be on. It's great to have you here. And, oh, man, CK, don't quit glaring did at you me. Did about me? Okay. No, I, yeah, I kind of did. So with me, okay. with me as CK always. CK here too, guys. Don't forget about me. Yeah, I can't forget about CK. <laughs> CK, my co-pilot. Yeah. Um, so, Drew, let's, uh, first let's start off with some of your background. Where are you at and uh, how'd you get there? Well, I'm in the northeast corner of Wyoming. I'm actually, our ranch is right halfway in between the, the Black Hills, which I don't know if people heard of that, like Deadwood, South Dakota is in the Black Hills, mm-hmm. and the Bighorn Mountain. I'm, I'm centered right in the middle of that. It's kind of the, the country here is big rolling hills, lots of sagebrush. Uh, I got here, my great-grandpa on my dad's side came here from Sweden at the turn of the century in the early 1900s. Him and three of his brothers homesteaded here, and then he just ended up with all of it. On my mom's side, one of her grandpas was one of those guys that ran away from home from an abusive father when he was a teenager and joined a cattle drive, you know, with the, that old story and ended up here and, and he homesteaded a place also. So, mm-hmm. And so we run mostly black Angus cattle. Uh, we run on about 20,000 acres here. And, and uh, yeah. So that 20,000 acres, is that mostly uh, like BLM or permit lands, or is that all deeded? And most of it's deeded. We have a couple of all Wyoming state sections. There's a little, a couple little chunks of BLM that, we, that we've that we got. And, you know, dealing with the BLM the last couple of years is, has not been very fun, but we, we make it work. What do you think is the most not fun <laughs> as far as BLM, just what their requirements or – well, so we've got some some land that has these buttes on it, and on the right. very top of them is BLM land. And so the BLM came up with this rule. It's called their view shed rule. And if a Native American is to stand on top of that and there's something within their view shed they don't like, or if you're wanting to build something like a fence or a road or a oil well is going to be drilled, you have to okay it through them. And it used to be something like 100 yards was the view shed rule. They tried expanding that out to like five or 10 miles. So then that was going to be affecting people's ranches that weren't even associated with this part, piece of BLM land. And, and uh, you know, we that was about a, a, a summer of, of fighting with that and getting that taken care of. But wow. it was it was kind of a pain. But that I'm fortunate that I live in a state that is 98% privately owned and I have deeds to all my stuff and I don't have to worry about things like that. But I think we also have to be conscious about, you know, sharing our land with, you know, with people that do have a historical tie to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we never had any problem with, with those people going and and doing whatever they wanted there. But this, this view shed thing where on my own private land, I can't build a fence without essentially government's permission or or whoever. Mm -hmm. Oh, it goes against my, I'm sure we could have some fun conversations about government and food police later, but uh, <laughs> so you're uh, you say you're third, fourth generation there on the ranch. Um, you know that's that's kind of getting increasingly rare as you know things are harder to keep in the family. So like 
describe your operation. You said you had you know, primarily black Angus cows. Are you are you more on the regenerative side and rotationally grazing, or are you still more on a conventional side? Like, there's not any judgment. Oh, we're, oh no. So definitely, sort of the conventional. I've 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 done quite a few things here. You know, like raising smaller cows than what we used to. Mm-hmm. Trying to get into you know 11, 1200 pound cow is the the max size we want, and uh, smaller groups of, of cows in different pastures just it, it helps me manage things better and pay attention to the grass better and managing my grass better because where we're at the, the the climate is so kind of temperamental like last year was just an absolute horrible drought mm-hmm. and those come along around here every five or six years so you, if you're overstocked that just you pay for well, that twice yeah don't you guys have like crazy terrible wind i know i've driven through wyoming and i thought i was gonna die but i mean it's for the most part you guys have some crazy wind that like how fast do they go or the speed i would say i would say an average day you're gonna have you know five to 20 mile an hour winds that's just average uh you know the kind of windy day for us is you know 30 miles an hour and then when they get up to the 60 mile an hour yeah. winds and start tipping over yes, semi trucks, that's when people start talking. Mm-hmm. About it. it, I usually get blown back into the house when it hits about 20 or 25. Yeah. <laughs> blown back you into the house. Is. So we, is there like some? Is it like the climate and region? Like someone asked me why there what, Wyoming was windy. I was like, I don't know. I should ask someone who's from Wyoming. I think it kind of has to do with, with the Canadian Plains and then the, the, the Rocky Mountains, you know, the, we have what they call Alberta Clippers and, and things like that mm. and wind coming from the plains and the mountains funneling it and what things like that. So that makes sense. So but yeah, we, we've, we raise mostly black Angus cattle. I've, I've started uh, crossbreeding with some shorthorns. We were getting some pretty wild and waspy, waspy cows and finch jumpers and stuff that would chase you out and, and uh, we, we have a pretty bad coyote problem. So we thought, you know, if a cow will run me over, she'll definitely keep a coyote off of her calf. But then it, it kind of got a little excessive. <laughs> so I started breeding some shorthorn in there to get that you know, a little calmer herd. And, and it has helped a bunch. So, and we, we start calving in April and May. <clears throat> I'm actually calving heifers right now. I pulled a calf about 30 minutes ago, but uh, oh, wow. then we, we keep them until sometime in October when they're between 525 pounds, and 550 pounds and, we sell them through superior livestock, which is, has worked pretty decent. It's worked okay for us, you know. And you're selling through superior on a program, right? Yeah. So, yep, yep. We, we're utilizing the, the beef chain program that we started. And you want me to go into the, how that all came to be? Let's hit it. That's why we're here, buddy. I want to know. We want to know okay, all so, about beef chain, especially from a producer's perspective, because Every other person I have heard talk about beef chain is a crypto investor, is a CEO, or is is somebody that's being negative about it. So I we really, really want to hear a producer's perspective from the ground up of what it's like and what it's doing for you. Yeah, and for the listeners, it's it's similar to blockchain, right? But in a beef context, is that what we're doing? Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely explain okay. all that. So Thank you. Wyoming started passing the, these blockchain laws because several years ago, I, when Bitcoin was first becoming popular, I tried to buy some. And because I lived in the state of Wyoming, I couldn't. And so 
the Wyoming legislators started coming up with these laws to make it a really friendly place for blockchain companies to come and operate. And by the way, Beef Chain doesn't really utilize any, we don't utilize any of those laws. Beef Chain could have existed without these laws, but it, it brought some of our attention to blockchain. So we started, my brother-in-law and my wife and I, we started looking into what blockchain is. My brother-in-law, he's a, a Wyoming representative. He be, he's an expert on it. He's, he's the guy. But we kind of learned what it was and what a, what a blockchain is, is just a ledger of transactions. And so the, the thing that's so interesting about it or, or sort of powerful about it, the technology is once a transaction has made it onto the ledger, it cannot be altered ever. And, and it's unhackable and I'll go into that later. But so we learned that blockchain is, is something that you could track cattle on. And so then the end consumer, when they're buying a steak, once blockchain becomes mainstream, if they understand it, they realize that, that this information has been on this ledger since this calf was born and has never been altered or changed. So we thought this is a great way to track cattle, but people aren't gonna buy a tag from you just because you're gonna track their calf on a blockchain. We needed something else. So that's when we went through the USDA and got a process verified program where we can go and uh, verify people's cattle that qualify their steer calves or whatever they're selling as, as all natural, meaning they receive no antibiotics, no growth hormones, and agent source verify them. And we started a Wyoming Plus program just because we're out of Wyoming. And that just verifies that their calves were born in Wyoming. And so then they get an RFID tag for all their calves. We order that for them. Is that so, just a normal 840 that, tag? Yeah, they can do an 840 or, or whatever the, the 960 or whatever the other one is. The benefits to using an 840 tag is you can also use it as a bangs tag, which has kind of become a big deal in Wyoming. Oh, yeah. So, so we got our, our PVP programs and, and we're selling that to people because we were seeing if you marketed your cattle as all natural and all these programs, you were getting at least 10 cents a pound or more, 10 cents a pound or more compared to people who didn't. So kind of learned that if, if you're not using a, a growth hormone program to get those extra pounds, if you're not doing that, and, and, it, and if you're keeping good records, you're basically leaving money on the table by not using a program, by not marketing your cattle as not having that hormone. And if you're keeping the records where if I gave this calf an antibiotic, yeah. I can point that calf out because I've marked it in some sort of way and it's in my ranch logbook. And that's one of the misconceptions people have about the all natural program is you can't give antibiotics, but you absolutely manage your cattle herd out. Right, you yeah. Organic, you can't give yeah, antibiotics, so it, but once you do, they just go to a different market, right? Yeah, so if you do have to give something an antibiotic, you just have to have a way of marking it with like a different colored ear tag or a notch in the ear tag, and you have to put it down in your ranch log. But, you know, I gave this calf five cc's of LA200, and you send Beef Chain a picture of the RFID tag, and we take care of the rest for you. So that's how Beef Chain got started. And then we've been working on a consumer facing product where you go to a restaurant, you order your steak and it's gonna come out with a QR code sticking in one of the little toothpicks. You can scan that QR code and it's gonna bring up a, a landing page for that rancher and, and it'll give you information. The rancher has a pretty decent write up about you know the history of his ranch, what kind of things he's doing there, you know, family pictures, because most, all these ranches we've worked with their family run operations. Mm -hmm. And then he, he's got a nice video talking about 
why he does things the way he does. And then all of these transactions of that beef, you can go to a transaction page and you can see when that animal was, was born, when it was shipped, when it was processed, and when it showed up at your plate. Crazy. And, and we've learned a lot doing that. This is a pilot project and we've learned through some studies the University of Wyoming did for us that 95% of people are willing to pay more for a steak if they knew where it came from and they know the history of it. And uh, something interesting I also learned, we, we kind of worked with a business professor at UCLA and he said, consumers also want to know that the rancher is getting his, his fair deal. His, you know, he's getting his fair shake on that on that mm -hmm. state, which for the vast majority of ranchers is not happening. But if we can make, make a difference for, for guys that are selling direct to consumers, they're feeding them out and processing them themselves and getting them in a steakhouse, then we can add value to that. And so then we're helping out ranchers and, and consumers. Right. So it's like Mike Calicrate said is ranchers are only getting, they used to get 70% of the dollar and now they're getting what, like less less than 30 35, 35 yeah 34 35 cents on the dollar or the consumer beef dollar i think is what the figure he quoted that was episode amazing, four though. if anybody needs to go back and check that out quote me on it <laughs> and so you know we obviously we can't work with with the big three packers because this is absolutely something they're not interested in they they like that supply chain being blurred absolutely so Having to utilize, you know, privately owned custom slaughter facilities that are USDA certified is is the way we're having to go. But I don't know if your your listeners probably know maybe a little bit about what's going on with those three major packers and how they're buying meat from other countries and and selling it as labeled as product of the U.S. because it was packaged in the U.S. And oh, let's talk about it. Can... Let's talk about why the why the big packers are definitely against. Things like beef chain and transparent traceability. Well, in country well, of origin labeling too, right? Yeah. So back when country origin labeling was around, it was it was a pretty decent deal. We we're getting good, great prices for our cattle. But these these packers, they don't want you to know where it came from because it it costs their them. investment. They're not going to pay anything mm -hmm. for a package. Yeah, they're not gonna. You're not gonna pay four dollars or five dollars for a package of burger if you know it came from Mexico or South America. You know, you don't know what are the what are the regulations as far as withdrawal time for antibiotics in that right. in those countries. What what parasites are they working with? What what regulations do their facilities have? But <clears throat> with their with their massive profits, I've got some numbers here. Like Tyson didn't make, but they profited in 2020 42.2 billion dollars. And JBS is at $34.9 billion, and Cargill is at $20 billion. So that gives them just a massive amount of money to throw at lobbying. And JBS spent around over $7 million just in lobbying, and they were able to land themselves a $900 million government meat contract. So they're just, they're just so powerful that us little ranchers can't, can't battle something that big. And politicians don't want to touch it because these packers – have become so efficient at processing beef and, and getting it out across the United States, out across the country. They're so efficient, they don't want to mess with the food chain, plus their lobbying powers, and it's just become a horrible ordeal for us ranchers. Cartel. It's, it's too big, yeah. And they've also been able to keep beef prices low because it's, of their uh, extreme so sad. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, like so in, in 19, 1960, a pound of beef cost $6.97. And in 2019, it cost $5.80. I can't think of anything else that has remained that low of a price in that time. What the, what a pickup cost in 1960 and what a gallon of fuel cost in 1960? I, I yeah. bet you could buy a gallon of fuel with your pocket change back then. I mean, and, and what, what would it... What would an hour of labor or what would a day helper cost you in 1960 versus what it costs you today? Absolutely. You know, those are some serious problems that those of us in, in production agriculture, we've had to deal with for the last, you know, 60. Yeah, I guess it has been 60 years since 1960. I can do math on all those so, fingers. So I used to work for a boutique packer, the hunter, they killed a thousand cows a day and they would say that their argument against country of origin labeling is, you know, cause we were in California, they would ship in Mexican steers and then they would have them for 120 days. Right. And so they're like, well, you know, it's really about the finishing product. And so that was their argument for against it. Right. And I'm still thinking, but, 90% of its life was in, in Mexico. We don't really know what kind of forage or whatever else it got. Yeah. Yeah. And- but, you know, that's a problem that the beef chain is at a, right now at a small level. We're not taking on any major packers right now, but we're trying to solve with, with traceability through blockchain technology. So, mm-hmm. so something I know a lot of ranchers and producers are consumed about, concerned about, especially with my involvement with pasture map over the years is how secure is my data? How secure is my data? And how can I make sure that my data for these EID tags and the cattle movement isn't being used against me? Exactly. So I use different, I used a different program before, before we started beef chain and I was pretty sure they were collecting information about like what, what antibiotics I was using and they were able to sell that data, you know, to targets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to do some marketing. And I, when we started this, I said, I, I'm not interested in that. This is just charge a flat rate to ranchers. We're not going to make money. If they make more money, we make money because they're a return customer. And so it, and another thing that ranchers worry about along those same lines is they don't want all their public, they don't want all their information on a public blockchain. They don't want what they're selling them for, how many they've got on there. So they just, what I tell them is the only information that goes on the blockchain is that calf's RFID tag number and whatever certifications they have. It's, it's created kind of technical terms. It's created into a hash and that's, that's what's on the blockchain. They're not going to know things like, how much, how much you sold that calf per pound, or if you processed it, what you're charging for ribeyes or something like that. I think that, you know, I think there's a lot of concerns that I've heard that, you know, that probably won't come to fruition. Like, you know, is the government going to be tracking my cows? No, I, I don't think we're ever going to have to worry about that. Yeah, so, so we do get audited every year by the USDA because this is the USDA program and they have to make sure we're doing things right. But the USDA cannot come to us and say, I want a list of every rancher that you are utilizing or that's using your program and a tag manifest of all our calves and all the information you have on. They can't legally do that. They would have to go get a warrant or something like that. They can't just show up and, and demand that information. And we damn sure wouldn't give it to them without a fight. You know, that's... 
you know, we're ranchers ourselves and, and that's not our, that's not our cup of tea. And the data is all encrypted. And unless the data owner gives you a key or a piece of a key, you cannot read data off that blockchain, correct? Yeah. So, so this, this information, unless you're wanting it shared like this rancher that we're using where he's got the QR code and, and those transactions have been tracked, you know, the, the, the QR code shows that what this animal is certified in. So, but it's, it's, it's only if somebody wants it shared. If you're doing if you're doing some sort of marketing like he is, where he's trying to prove or show the life of this cattle from where it was born till it gets to your plate. <clears throat> but as far as as ever being able to change any of that information or look it up, it's it's all all this blockchain stuff is is really protected by by mathematics. It's not necessarily like an internet is a server's protected by a firewall. And if you can give the firewall a virus, then you're into that server. This is all decentralized. So, I mean, I can get into that if you'd like me to, to, to kind of help explain to people. So Yeah, yeah. It, it, the more you can explain things from a boots-on-the-ground producer level, the more, right. the more we like it. Okay, so if we all remember 2008, the recession, things weren't going great. Not quite as bad as what we're dealing with now, but there was problems with the dollar. And so some people that we don't know, we don't know who they are, started this, this Bitcoin. They used the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto. We don't know if it's one person or a group of people, but as advanced as this is, it was probably a group of people. So they started Bitcoin, and they literally, the first thing ever sold on their on their ledger was a pizza. Somebody bought a pizza for, for 10,000 Bitcoins, which would be, I don't know, whatever 10,000 times 50,000 is right now. A big pile of but, money. The world's most expensive pizza. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they developed this this program and they, they wanted to keep it decentralized. And, and part of the reason of keeping it decentralized is so one person or one entity or one group could not have a massive amount of control of this. And it also makes it so there's no central point to where this can be hacked because it's run by... At the beginning, it was run by anybody with a computer that wanted to get involved. And so, like I said before, this is all all based on mathematics and these big, huge digits that are 256 numbers long. But anyway, they they uh, created Bitcoin. There's a there's a, only 21 million Bitcoins that are ever going to exist. So they kind of used the gold standard to base value on it. So it's not like the American dollar where we need some more, let's just print some more. There's a, there's a finite amount of it. And another thing that brings value to a cryptocurrency is its use case. So if a, if a credit card company decides it wants its, all of its transactions to be uh, tracked on a blockchain, so they're not having to have a warehouse full of computer servers that they maintain and, and pay for and, and has the vulnerability of being hacked or shut down, they can have a blockchain do this for them for a fee and Oh, I kind of losing my place here on all this. <laughs> so I can go back to how a blockchain works for you. I'm kind of getting sidetracked here. So the way a blockchain works is there's a transaction that happens. And these are happening. Now they're happening thousands per second. These, these transactions are put into a pool and these are called unconfirmed transactions. Mm-hmm. So then we'll, we'll use Bitcoins as blockchain as an example. So all the people who have nodes, these are small little computers. They're only 
purpose is, is running this system. There's a, a huge map algorithm problem that they have to solve in order to win the right to mine those transactions to, to verify them and put them on the ledger. And these, 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 these math problems are huge, 256 numbers long. It takes something, these, these computers are all racing to, to solve this answer. It takes like 10 minutes for them to solve it. So the winner who solves the math transaction shares that work with all the other nodes on the system. They all verify that that's correct. And then these transactions are all then put on a ledger. All the, all the miners and the nodes verify that these tra transactions are valid, and then it goes on a ledger. And so Bitcoins right now, they're doing something like 9,000 transactions per second. So that, that helps make this highly unhackable, but also because it's so decentralized. So, so the uh, so then the transactions are on the ledger. Now let's say you, you let's say you want to buy some Bitcoin. So you have to you have to open up some sort of you know, a mobile app like Coinbase or something like that, and that creates what's called a wallet for you, which is basically like an account. It's a wallet, mm -hmm. and you're going to buy some Bitcoin from somebody. So when you buy it from them, you're sending them the address for your wallet. And there's a public key and a private key involved in that. And these are things you don't have to know when you when you're doing this. It's all done automatically for you. But then that person sends you whatever you wanted, and to keep your address safe, so that somebody can't just do the reverse mathematics and get into it, all of these are protected by what's what's called a, um, gosh, it's a big fancy word. Elliptical curve cryptography. <laughs> and so elliptical curve cryptography, multiplication is, is pretty straightforward, but to do the reverse to get your address and get into your wallet is, is division. And that's it, that's almost impossible on an elliptical curve because you're having to literally you know guess every single permutation of a digit that's 256 numbers long, which would literally take wow. tens of thousands of years for a computer to do. I'll take so your word for it. I barely got out of algebra. <laughs> so that that's why things on a blockchain are so well protected. It's ironclad locked in there is because of mathematics. And, and you know, this is some pretty advanced mathematics stuff. So what BeefChain did was say, let's say I've got a bunch of calves that are all natural and I've got one that's not. Somebody down the line can't buy that calf and say, I'm going to go ahead and market this as all natural. I'm going to go in there and change that and say, this thing never got LA 200. It's, it's all natural. That's just mm -hmm. not possible. So the consumer knows this animal is antibiotic free. As long as that information was put in there truthfully in the first place. And so some people argue that, you know, Bitcoin is now using massive amounts of electricity, what they, which they are. So the, blockchain company that we have teamed up with or hitched our wagon to is it's called IOHK. They're rebranding their name to IOG input output global. Their blockchain is called Cardano and it's called a proof of stake blockchain. And so what that means is anybody who has a computer can download what's called the Daedalus app, which is what runs their, their blockchain. You buy some of their tokens and then you, it's called staking. You stake their tokens to a staking pool these staking pools are people that own the mining nodes or just the miners. Your computer then becomes a node 
And instead of your computer or a node having to burn up all this electricity and power to try to win the right to mine a block, one of your tokens is, is just drawn. It's kind of like a lottery. So if your token is drawn, that belongs to you out, out of what you've staked, then whoever you've staked with then mines those transactions. So it just uses a really finite amount of the of electricity and anybody can get involved. You can go buy $100, $50 of this token and you can be a node on Cardano's system. So it's even more decentralized. Do the and producers need to have... Do the producers that are participating in block in beef chain need to be a part of the Cardano network with a node? No, they they don't have to do they don't have to do anything at all like that. They, uh, you know, as of right now, because we're just starting out, we're just literally because the USDA requires us to keep all of this information, RFID tags and certifications, that they are in a safe place, to either a computer server or they've allowed us to use the blockchain because it's even more safe than an internet server. So ranchers don't necessarily, to be involved, you maybe need to have an email address for us to, to get this going for you. So smartphone not required. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to have a smartphone or anything. Uh, we could literally mail you an application, you fill it out. We do it all over the phone, set you up with when your tags are gonna show up. You let us know when all the tags are in their ears. We come out and do an on-site audit if if you're doing all the programs. If you're just doing source and age verified, that's just over the phone. And then we come out, we do an audit. And when I was audited before by different companies, it felt pretty invasive. So I've tried my best to make sure it's not that way. I really explain things like, have you given a calf LA200 and what's your protocol for marking that? If they say, yeah, I gave this one, LA 200 and I gave it a pink ear tag. I'm going to need to see that that's in your logbook and see that calf to, to verify that. And it's not that we don't trust these ranchers. It's, it's the name of the game. We are third party verification. So we have to verify that. Yeah. There, there has and to be I some need... spot checking to keep everybody honest. Yep. Definitely. Because if you send a steer to a packer, that's been, that has antibiotics and hasn't been injection site and people have paid more for that animal because it's all natural. There's, there's going to be hell to pay after that. So is beef chain a cryptocurrency and how is it different from a cryptocurrency? So beef chain, we do not have a, like a token or a cryptocurrency right now. And I can go into what cryptocurrencies are. So these, these nodes that are all mining these transactions and doing the work, once a, once a block has been forged and all the transactions are on it, right now I think Bitcoin pays 6.25 Bitcoins per block. So if, you're, if, you're, if your nodes work on that block, you get a percentage of those Bitcoins. That's how they're paid. So you can see if, if there's more use cases for a blockchain and, and more of this money is going out the door to these people, that brings more value to it. Because there's less of it, you know, less, less of it in, in uh, what am I trying to say? There's less of it available. Less of it in circulation, limited quantity. Yeah. So right now, if, like we know each other through TikTok and, and because of my videos and, and hashtagging cryptocurrency in this, there are literally probably thousands of people that are talking about cryptocurrency they bring up their graphs and they say this coin is doing awesome and they talk about their candles and the dips and 
all this this chart talks, you know, head and shoulders here and a flag. That means that the coin's gonna do this. But there's so many of these tokens that, that have no use case and they have no limited supply, but they're just going through the roof because of all the hype. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you there's a bunch of those tokens that will not be here in a year. And people are making money on it, which is great. You go buy like Dogecoin is one you hear a lot about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, that's been in the news. I think they make 500 million of those a year and they're going to do it every year. And people buy them up the next day. It's gone up in value. They sell them. They've made money. Well, they but just might as well be the Federal Reserve at that point if they're going to keep exactly, printing them at exactly. that rate. And so there's there's people now because of the hype of this, they're making a token that's a scam. They're selling it to you. And then they're just going to disappear and you'll hold this token that has zero value. And that's really going to hurt the Bitcoin industry when a bunch of people, uh, not the Bitcoin, the blockchain industry, when a bunch of people get left holding a bag of, of worthless tokens. I mean, it, so my, my personal the, belief is that the value of all cryptocurrency is intrinsically zero, but it's what we can do with that blockchain that powers cryptocurrency that that's where the value is for me. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. You know, this, some of these that are just hype coins that aren't worth anything. They're not doing anything. They're not creating a value. People are going to get bet in the ass by those, but these ones like Cordano, they have a bunch of use cases. They're actually doing things. Those are the ones that have value. You know, that company is going to be around in 10 years from now and the coin's going to go up and, and what they're doing with the technology in my opinion, is is more important than than the coin itself. You know, Bitcoin is worth a bunch of money, but it's it's worth that because of of what their technology is able to do. And when you, Brian, do I know you this have all sounds. Uh, I do. I have some Bitcoin. And, you guys do. Okay, can I read a text? Of my friend, who my rancher friend in Missouri, who really wants me to buy Bitcoin. I'm gonna read it because it it made me laugh, but now I'm. Maybe, maybe he makes sense. He says, uh, there's a chance for it to fail still, but right now it looks like the best it ever has. I'm not scolding you. I'm trying to inform you. So if something big happens, I don't have the guilt of not telling you. And that, I mean, that I feel like is, is kind of the, how everyone else is saying invest in Bitcoin and this cryptocurrency, because it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be the real deal. I passed so, so on some Bitcoins good. in, I think it was 2006 or 2007. There was an MMO character that that I was playing that I was like trying to get rid of. And I needed money to pay bills. And this guy was offering me the equivalent of 450 bucks in Bitcoin. And I think they were like, they were less than 20 cents. I think they were between six and 20 cents each at the time. And it was $450 worth of Bitcoin. But... Bitcoin doesn't buy groceries in 2009, so I had to take some cash. And believe me, uh, I wish I would have taken at least half of it in Bitcoin. But uh, yeah, that would be that be that you'd have twenty two that be two thousand some odd Bitcoins right now. That's a lot of money. But um, so this isn't in any way financial advice. But the the old saying, "When's the best time to plant an apple tree?" and that. That was 20 years ago. 20 years ago. The second yep. best time is right now. So there's there's lots of people that have become billionaires from Bitcoin because they, they bought it in, in 2009 or 10. But, you know, my opinion of it, like this is an advice, is that Bitcoin, will, the most it's going to do now is probably in this year, 
the next two years is double in price. So the best you could do is, is double your money on it. There are some other ones out there like like Cardano that I feel could go up to it's it's trading right now to like a dollar thirties a token. It could get up to five dollars. I don't know if it will, but that's that's kind of what people smarter than me are saying. So there's some money to be there. And plus you can I forgot to mention this part about the staking. When you stake on Cardano's network, because you're helping run the network with your computer being a node and staking, you get paid rewards also. So you can get paid up to, you know, around three, six, ten percent interest on what you stake. So you get you it, it's you know passive income. But I do think it's it's probably here to stay. I don't know how much government regulation will come into it. Um, like I said, the best thing you can do is do a bunch of research. A lot of this can be kind of hard to understand, but if, if a coin has a, a use case, there's a use for it, and it has a different, they, they have white papers, and, and those can be boring and hard to read too, but um, there are some people on, on TikTok that I think are giving great advice on tokens to buy, and then the, but then there's a bunch of them that are horrible. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think, I think it's definitely here. The thing that'll happen now is, you know, I, I got into Bitcoin a while ago. So right now I'm super happy where it's at. It's, it's yeah. bouncing around from 60,000 down to 50,000. I don't, I don't really care, but somebody that bought it 56,000 and now it's down to 50,000 is, is just mashing their teeth. But They're having a I bad day. I think it'll go up and, and they'll be fine. It, it's one of those things you buy it and you just, you can't look at it every day. Look at it every month and see where it's at. Well, great. So we had some questions from the Ranching Reboot Paddock. The first one we want to get to is uh, our good friend Jeff Goodwin, who was last week's episode. Uh, Jeff asked, how are the major retail sector companies going to overcome their mass balance approach with traceability through blockchain? So, you know, right now uh, Walmart is using blockchain to track their they're leafy greens and some other vegetables. And the reason they're partially doing that is because of that salmonella outbreak we had a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it made a lot of people sick. I think it took them six or seven days to track that back to where it originated from. But with, with, uh, with blockchain technology, they've, they've tested this and it literally took two and a half seconds to track something back to oh, where really? it originated from. So instead of having to clear every shelf across the country and cost them who knows how much they can just, go to just those stores that were, are contaminated and clear just those and keeps people from getting sick or dying. And, and or trace the blockchain back to the source of contamination and then go back up and get all the products from there. Even if they went to other stores without doing a mass recall, pulling everything off at of every Walmart shelf in the country. Exactly. And, and you know, GBS a couple of years ago had a huge recall where they recalled like, uh, 12 million pounds of beef and they got less than 2% of that back just because they're throwing it out the door so quick. It's, it's almost impossible to track it from there. So. so Michael Kinsey wants to know again from the ranching reboot paddock, how does blockchain in the commodity beef market not lead to corporate takeover like packers maintaining their own independent ledgers? Well, huh, that's a pretty good question. It would, it, you know, for a packer to, to be involved 
and want to have their own ledger? Hmm. That's a really good question. It, it, it partially, partially because you know it, this is producer led. They're they're controlling their information. They, you know, dictate who they're selling to. They they could potentially dictate who they're selling to, and hmm, I've never I've honestly never been asked that question before. <laughs> but hmm, I, I will have to give that one some thought. Yeah, if you think of something, we can we can always definitely circle back to that, and then I. Michael's a smart guy. He has really good questions. Um, <laughs> so the last one we had from the paddock for you, well, it's, it's kind of a two-parter of some Will Haynes. And he asked, does Beef Chain honor third-party certifications from other auditors? For example, if he bought NHTC calves and wanted to add them to Beef Chain, what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. You could, I mean, it would just be, if, if he's wanting to certify them is is if he wants to add to his certifications because they've used a USDA certified PVP program that's pretty easy to step into. And so the, and and to extend onto that, uh, we also certify feedlots. So it's not just for the rancher. Obviously it's got to continue down the down the chain. So scale, yeah. And and probably sale barns as well for those of us that you know don't like to do with superior or superior is not the best option. Yep. Yep. We do. We deal with sale burns also. Okay. So it's, it, it, yep. So I've got a box of 840 tags and a pen of pairs. Where do I start? What's the onboarding process look like? So you can go to beefchain.com. There's a, it's beefchain slash PVP backslash. And we're actually working on that to make a, a button where you just push application, or you can get onto beefchain.com and just contact us. We will send you out an application either through email or, or if you want it in the mail and you can read through that and that'll kind of give you an idea of whether or not you're going to be able to qualify. You know, if, if you keep records of when your first calf was born, when the last calf of that season was born, do you record uh, uh, doctoring records, antibiotics and stuff? Do you use hormones? You know, some people uh, uh, use cedars to for AI yep. purposes. You know, are those stored in a safe place? Which some of these questions are, are required by the USDA. You know, obviously you don't have cedars laying out on your deck. And dogs I do. Back in the room. I totally do. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> so you, you fill out an application that'll give you a pretty good idea. Um, go ahead and if you already have your own tags, put them in their ear. Send us a tag manifest. Then we'll schedule an audit. Somebody will come out and go through this list of questions. It maybe takes five minutes if we don't sit and BS too much. Mm-hmm. That audit will go to a level one reviewer, then a level two reviewer. If there's no issues, it'll get you'll get a, a shipping certificate in the mail. So then when you go to sell your cattle or ship them or whatever, that just goes on to the next buyer. And the, so then what's got to go to the next person is obviously your tag manifests and this, this shipping certificate, which says... These cattle are certified by the by USDA PVP and blank, all natural or NHTC or whatever. So, besides the cost of the tags and you know the, the EID equipment, what what are producers cost to participate in the beef chain program? So for the to do the full gamut for us to come and do an audit, it's going to cost you twelve hundred dollars. 
And we, we, we I was waiting for you to follow up with a then, then. <laughs> well, I've, I've actually got a little dealer I can pull up and give you the exact numbers of everything. <laughs> I mean, I guess what we're getting at is, you know, is it a significant cost burden? Is it a yearly reoccurring thing? Um, and then, and then, of course, where we want to go with that is what kind of premiums can we expect as producers from this system currently and as it develops? And, you know, we've got to make sure that the premiums are definitely going to offset the cost. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, it costs for everything, you know, about $2 a tag. And then if, if, we, if there is no on-site re- audit required, there's, there's no other charge. Right. Um, if you have do an on-site audit, that's, that's $1,200 whether you have a thousand head or, or 200 head. Okay. So then you have to, you have to renew every year. Or if you have like uh, two different calving groups, if you calve in the spring and you calve in the fall, both those groups have to be uh, audited and certified. But it is a reoccurring deal every year. Uh, when you, when you sign up with beef chain, we send you a ranch manual and it will have a bunch at the back of it. It'll have a bunch of, of things that you can utilize, like a doctoring record where you can write down the dates and what you doctored and how much. Uh, we help you get your feed letters. If you feed mineral tubs or something, you have to get a hold of the manufacturer to make sure there weren't any things the USDA doesn't like in there, I don't afford or things like that. <clears throat> and we help you do all that. Uh, there's, there's a page in there for pasture moves. So if you move from the south pasture to the east pasture, it's just... It, it makes it easy to fill out. Then when it comes time to audit, you just plop that down in front of your auditor. You can go through it right there and, and then try to make it as easy as possible. And most ranchers have found if, if you keep decent records, this is super easy to do. I know, guy. <laughs> so you mentioned move records. Like uh, some of us move three herds every day or some of us move, you know, one herd five, six times a day. Mm-hmm. Like what kind of move records are you guys really want? Well, so the move records just helps bear. It's a way of verifying that those cattle are, you know, on your ranch. It's just a way of verifying the the source part of it. Right. So if, if you're staying in the same pasture and, and you're doing rotational grazing, just, just write down when you move out of that pasture or something to the next one, it, I, you know, you don't, you could say, you could say something as simple as I was in this section of land from this this date to this date. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be super, super specific like that, like move cows into this paddock. Then, then five I, hours later, they had that grubbed off, so I moved them again. I can imagine there's a software company out there that probably has an API that would that would interface with that and make that a little bit easier of a process. You what know, do you think, CK? Okay, so so Drew, I work for Pasture If you did plug that in already, so grazing management software. But we talked about pivoting two years ago, so we were like, okay, what is what's the next steps for Pasture as a business? And so now we're in the carbon market, right? But I wanted to do the QR code. That was I was like, we need to do blockchain QR codes. We have some data. We'll just enhance the data for ranchers, and then they could do the natural programs because what it opens up to European markets in. And your ranchers are seeing, what did you say, 10, 10 cents per pound added. And, and what is that for like a whole, for a whole animal? Like it's like two, 
$250 or? Um, yeah, so if you if you are not using these these programs right. and you're selling a cap at five hundred twenty five pounds, cost. Mm -hmm. yeah, you're if you use the programs like last year, you're you're bumping up into nine hundred dollars an animal if if they weigh five hundred twenty five pounds. If yeah. not, you know you could have broke even. In our area, you've got to sell a cap that's five hundred and fifty pounds around eight hundred fifty dollars. You got to get for them to break even. Mm -hmm. So the more you can add to that, you know that's. That's how guys get to go on vacation and put their kids through college. And, or actually or, ranch full-time and quit their outside yeah, or job. Yeah, their wife, their wife doesn't have to have two jobs in town. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So right now the premium you said was about 10 cents, 10 cents a pound. Do you expect that to go up? You know, with, with the surveys that we have, the University of Wyoming has done with this, there is a big increase in people wanting to know where their beef came from. And, and, you know, it used to be that 99% of the population made their living in agriculture and 1% was, was urban people. And that was exactly. completely flip-flopped. Flip -flopped. So, but people are becoming more conscious, conscious eaters and, and wanting to know where it came from and not just know where it came from, but be educated in it and understand it. And we're seeing a big influx in that. And in Wyoming, you know, there's farmer's markets opening up all over the place because they can look the people in the eye that raised the animal and, and know more about it. And we're just seeing that that's, that's becoming more popular to know where your, to know where your food came from, because these people have been lied to before you go to whole foods a couple of years ago or wherever it was, they were selling something that was advertised as all natural and it absolutely was not. And this demographic of people that we're selling to from age of 20 to 50, if you lie to them once they're done with you forever. Absolutely. So I see, I see the value increasing in it as more people want to become educated. You know, once they learn, we're not all trying to poison and kill them. We're just trying to sell them the best beef we possibly can and get, get more of them onto our side. Then they're going to want to learn more and, and be willing to pay more to know where it came from. And the dream is to someday somebody goes to a grocery store and they're there to buy a particular ranch of beef or they go to a particular restaurant because it's serving this particular guy's steak, that, that's his favorite, versus last week it was so-and-so steak, not so much my favorite, but it's his buddy's his favorite. And and that's that's the that's brand the loyalty. game. Is, mm -hmm. Yeah, brand loyalty, this this niche marketing where you you know it's people have their favorite kind of whiskey or or whatever. Let's let's have your favorite kind of your not just your favorite kind of beef, but your favorite region it was raised in or, or whatever ranchers have to get out of the mindset that beef is a commodity and start marketing it as a as a uh well like how they do wines product. like wines, yeah, like toir wines where you know you have the estate or you have the non-estate the state means actually was raised where they live or in this region um and, yeah and what, what we have learned is it might be a hard pill for ranchers to swallow to change their operation, but in the whiskey industry, you know, Jack Daniels has its Jack Daniels whiskey. You go buy it at their liquor store that maybe makes them some money, maybe doesn't, but then they have their Jack Daniels select or special reserve that costs a lot more. That's only about 10% of what they sell, but that's what makes them their profit. So right. if a rancher was to say, I'm going to retain ownership of 10% of my herd, I'm going to feed them out and I'm going to sell the beef myself. They're going to make, 
possibly more money than that than sell them to the sale bar. And that might be a hard pill to swallow or something hard to tr transition into, but it's kind of looking the way that a rancher is going to have to do to make money. And if, if we're there to help them hold their hand through it, it won't be so tough. The math certainly shows that a producer doesn't have to direct market, self-finish and direct market very many animals to really, really make a difference on his bottom line, especially if he keeps the feedlot and the packer out of it. Absolutely. Yep. If you can, you know, beef chain is working towards what I want to do someday. And that's definitely what we're working towards is I've got a, a notebook over here full of restaurants that are wanting steak that where they know that came from. And I've got a notebook here of ranchers that got that steak. And depending on what you want, I make the connections. Match up it. Yep. If this restaurant only wants grass fed, grass finished beef, it's like, all right, I've got this rancher here. This is how much he's charging for for twenty loins per pound, you know, and, and he's gonna an make way more money mm -hmm. than that. Mm -hmm. And it's not just for the grass-fed products or, you know, you guys are also tracing the... Finding the good fits, yeah. Yeah, you're also tracing yeah. the typical, you know, feedlot corn-fed beef as well, right? Yeah, if, if a restaurant says we want yeah. it aged, we want it grain-finished and aged for 30 days, it's like, all right, I got a guy for that. I got a guy who's doing that. Here he is. Here's his phone number or here's what he's charging. We'll set you up with the QR code and everything. And that's, that's the end game. That's such a good idea. Here's the data. Doing it. Here's yes. the data to prove that he's got what he says he's got. Yep. Here's the yeah, the data that back, backs up his claims because of the way a blockchain works. That data has never been able to be altered or changed. So trying to give the consumer the peace of mind that if I'm going to go pay $60 for a stake because it has these claims, the damn sure better have those claims. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So let's just, let, ah, wow, I'll probably forget <laughs> to edit that out later. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit here and, uh, and let's talk about, let's talk about a few other things. I think we kind of, and you really covered beef chain and blockchain. I'm, I think I got about all my questions answered that I had about that. CK, did you have anything? Oh, she's got barking dogs. One thing I'll add before you skip is, is this blockchain stuff. Is it, it does sound complicated, but the more videos you watch on YouTube or something, the more you read about it, all of a sudden the light switch will flip off in your head and you'll get it. And you'll wonder why we weren't doing this stuff 20 years ago. And it's we basically had to wait for technology to come up with, to catch up with this idea. This idea has been around for decades, but yeah, you'll people will get it. Just do a little research. I mean, if a dumb hillbilly rancher like me got it. I love it, though. <laughs> we make jokes internally at Pasture Map, like we make fun of blockchain because they're like no one gets it is it a real thing but honestly it sounds like you guys have figured it out so that's amazing <laughs> so like i said to shift gears here a little bit um what are some of the resources in schools um that have really helped you out in your ranching career well i don't i don't have a college degree which is Everybody else involved in beef chain, except for for Tyler Lindholm, one of our founders, they've all got big long letters behind their name. But I don't have any of that. But uh, you know, obviously, my dad helping me out a lot with with learning how to range, and we kind of did things at first when it wasn't popular because it made business sense. You know, it used to be big cows raise big calves, big calves making more money. But then when you put a pencil to it, 
it costs a hell of a lot less to, to feed an 1,100, 1,200 pound cow through the winter. And if you do your breeding program right and she raises a 550 pound calf, you're making more money. So, so things like that. As far as helping with beef chain, uh, the University of Wyoming has reached out and helped us quite a bit. I have a meeting every day with this guy named Corey Billington, who he's, he's worked for uh, Heineken, Hewlett Packard. Oh, really? He's had 3,000 people working under him. He's the business professor there. I think he's literally the business professor there because he was bored and he just mm -hmm. wanted to help him out. So that's an absolute wealth of knowledge in all this. Uh, Washington State is going to help us out. Uh, I was on a, a meeting the other day with a, the business professor at UCLA, the head business professor there. And he's the one who actually brought up that consumers want to know that ranchers are getting their fair share, which I, I guess I had never even considered that. Uh, Luxembourg University just, just reached out to us and I did, which is in Germany. And I did a, I was a keynote speaker at, at a, a blockchain week that they have, which when I initially agreed to do that, I did not know that it was that big of a deal. So, oh, really? How funny. You once I, really, oh. <laughs> yeah, luckily it was all done over video, but it okay, was two yeah. o'clock in the afternoon there, which was six in the morning here. And I had been up till about four in the morning, Kevin Heffers. So it was, it was nerve wracking, but luckily some of the speakers weren't too, it was kind of boring. So I was able to knock their socks off with some of this oh, information yeah. about the Packers and you know, a package of burger could have a hundred different cattle in it and stuff right. like that. So, it's dirty little secrets but of the know, meat packing industry that nobody well, wants to talk that's about. That's what they don't want to. They don't want to admit. That's why they exactly mm -hmm. like we like it because it's easy. Just throw them all in the same bin. But you know, education-wise, as far as myself, just reading every article you can in, in different ranch magazines and and trying to separate the bullshit from the the facts and what makes sense and what doesn't and, you know learning about crossbreeding your cattle and, and how that can be beneficial and ways to graze and uh there's a guy on tiktok that a lot of people really tear down i think it's, it's he's an oregon sisters cattle company or something is his name uh, we've and met i don't think people necessarily <laughs> agree with this people don't yeah. necessarily agree with his politics or anything like that but if you can't watch that guy and learn something about soil and grasses I mean, what are you, what are you doing? Like there's so there's some knowledge there. I mean, we actually picked Hobbs. I did. Mm -hmm. The CK went along mm -hmm. with it. We picked Hobbs for episode one because I thought he was the perfect spokesman to kick off a podcast. That guy is it's just the tone. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's really well-spoken and articulate, man. He can, he can really defend his points. He definitely can. And, I see people tearing him down and, and it's like, I might not, I'm not sure where he is politically and it doesn't really matter to me, but if I can sit there and listen to a minute long video and learn something about grass or soil. It's worth it. I'll, I'll do it. Definitely. And I, he's doing a lot to educate. And uh, well, the, the gentleman that we asked a question from the paddock earlier, Michael Kinsey, he was on uh, he was a second episode and he's off in Georgia and he's doing some really neat things too. So. Uh, Reverend Wild Ranch, that's what he is on TikTok. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what's the biggest challenge you're facing right now? Well, you know, this the, the blockchain technology is so new and it's it's kind of scaring people. They, they only know about Bitcoin if they've heard of anything at all. And 
thinking that they're going to sell their calves for Bitcoin. That's what they're going to get. Or just educating people has been the biggest challenge. Like I said before, ranchers think if you're doing all natural, they cannot get hormones. Or not hormones, I'm sorry, antibiotics, which is not not the case. You can. You just got to... Uh, Make sure they're tracked and, and, and logged. Yeah. And so we're doing this pilot project where I've worked on getting a rancher that sells direct consumers signed up and then get a restaurant that wants to serve as beef. So the biggest hurdles were explaining blockchain technology and, and there's been some people come out of the woodworks. There was a lawyer off in a town used to hear Newcastle said, this is all communist run beef chains, all communist. And I, I obviously he's never met me or talked to me or anybody <laughs> involved, but but getting past the hurdles of this new scary technology and this new currency that, you know, just because I'm involved in this doesn't mean I think or want Bitcoin to take over the dollar as far as our currency. I'm, I'm a patriotic American. I want the dollar to be doing well, but the way they're printing it and valuing it is kind of scary to me. So mm-hmm. if I want to invest in something, that's fine. But uh, so just educating people on that technology. So I got my rancher signed up. And talking to restaurants was almost impossible to get a hold of an owner of a restaurant that you're not associated with or don't know. I mean, I called the restaurants in Portland, Oregon, Aspen, Colorado, Boulder, Wickenburg, Arizona, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And just getting to where I could talk to somebody high up in that restaurant was almost impossible. But I uh, finally got a, a list of the top 10 steakhouses in Wyoming and one that was pretty close to us that I enjoy myself was on that list and I heard through the grapevine that they are wanting a new meat supplier because I think they used Cisco had had sold them some kind of crappy beef that mm-hmm. you know all these restaurants are coming back online so the packers are kind of falling behind so they're killing it and cutting it up while it's still jiggling and throwing it out the door and maybe there's some things that should end up in your restaurant that's maybe not graded correctly but they want a new supplier, so I went and talked to them and explained it to them. If I could get down and explain it to people, then it's not so scary. They're, they're sitting face-to-face with the, the CEO of the company, and I'm not a communist. And <laughs> if, I can, if I can get their ear for a minute, I can kind of put their mind to ease at it. But that's been the biggest challenge as far as teaching. Well, great. So what, what's been your biggest fail in your ranching career? And what did it teach you? The biggest fail would probably be uh, wishful thinking that it's that we're going to have good rain every year. Um, like last year was such an absolute horrible drought. Didn't see it coming. With everything else going on in the world, uh, it was just an absolute crazy year. So there was you know COVID, and then we had a grasshopper plague. We have a mouse plague. Oh wow! Yeah. Just all these things going on. And uh, just just wishing and hoping that there's going to be rain the next year is just not a safe safe bet to bet to play. We had we had called our herd pretty hard a couple of years ago, so I thought these are all nice young cows. I really don't want to get rid of them. Let's let's just see what happens. And I should have I should have downsized, and I didn't because in a drought you you pay for it all winter. You pay for it all that summer, all that winter, and all mm-hmm. until the next summer. And that's kind of been my biggest failure is is kind of being a little I'm pretty proud of my cowherd maybe that's the failure being too proud of them not wanting to get rid of them but you've got to manage your grass you've got to protect it so 
luckily I'm going to be able to leave some ground and, and save my ass. But had I not, you know, I'd probably be selling pears right now, which might be fun. Depends on the pears you're selling. And, you know, I, I talked to a friend the other day that uh, he was making a pretty good trade from from black ones back to Herefords. I mean, I, I get that that might be a questionable decision for some people, but uh, he was swapping three for five almost. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that was a, well, I might make that trade. It seems like a good trade. Um, yeah, and, and to, to touch on that a little bit, what what Beef Chain could end up doing for these guys who are selling direct consumers is you don't have to sell a black-headed cow to get the most for it at a restaurant. I mean, if they don't care what color the hair was on it, you can raise whatever works best in, in your climate. I mean, if, if you're if you've got a mountain lease and you've got Angus cattle because it makes you more money and you're dealing with water brisket, all kinds of foot rot, mm-hmm. you want to switch to a different breed, you sure can and, and still make the same money. I mean, dealing with shorthorn cattle now, they come in some wild colors and those cattle buyers don't always like those wild colors when it's just as good a calf as a black eyed one. So I, I've I got plenty of, I've got plenty of pretty issue. ones too. Uh-huh. Yeah. The thing, too, though, is certified Angus beef, they can have a certain percentage of white, they can be Holstein, and they'll still tag them as Angus. They just have to meet some pretty basic parameters, if you ask me. I have a friend, whose name I won't mention, that retained ownership of a pen of half Coriente, half Charlet calves, all the way to the box. And they graded like forty something percent CAB, like, and it was right up there, kind of pretty pretty close to industry average for choice prime for anything else coming out of that feedlot. But mm-hmm. Coriente Charlet genetics, about half of it made CAB program. What a drop but, of what a exactly. drop of Angus in there. But that's also because consumers trust the CAB brand, right? And so we just need to like kind of solve how Drew is doing it. It's like, okay, we don't need to trust uh, the way the hive looks. We need to trust the way the rancher is managing and we can solve that with this QR code. And then they can actually feel a personal experience attached to, to what they're, they're eating or they're supporting with their dollars too. I like it. Cause touch on that. Go ahead. To touch on that a little bit, you know, sustainability has all of a sudden become a, a buzzword with consumers. And I think it's the global round table has this crazy, yeah. definition of sustainability that they've come up with which is mm-hmm. absolutely insane i don't remember i read it several years ago and it talked about how much water scale. Mm-hmm. but if you're going to a restaurant and you scan that qr code and this ranch has been in the same family or in business for 100 years they're obviously using some sort of sustainable practices you don't you don't stay in business for that long by grubbing your pastures off every year and trying to get every little blade of grass into that cow for every pound, you're going to last about five years doing that. I didn't, you know, I really didn't think about that. That's a, that's a good angle. Uh, that's a good marketing angle. And, and it kind of came to, to into my mind when I was hearing about the global round table and, and their definition of sustainability. And the fact that they're going to tell a rancher whose ranch has been in his family for hundred years, this is what sustainable when it should be the opposite. The rancher should, they should be asking the rancher, how are you being sustainable? This is how, okay, maybe we should look into that. 
How can we help you be more sustainable? Well, exactly. Exactly. I think it's changing too. Is if the rangers are able to tell businesses how to be more sustainable, like I think we're changing the tables. Yeah, and what's sustainable in in Northeast Wyoming is not the same. No, the context, right? There's definitely not a one size fits all for that. So what would be the best advice that you could give somebody starting out or the best advice you wish you had gotten on your first day of ranching? Hmm. Interesting. That's a pretty good question. I guess if somebody was to come to me and say, I want to start ranching, I would say, you know, a high dollar bull going to these bull sales. I have learned that you'll, you'll have a bull and you look at his EPDs and all his numbers and you'll go out in the pen and look at him. Looks like a masculine, nice bull. The bull that's on the page next to him that says all the same EPD numbers and looks exactly the same. People are willing to pay different monies for those bulls. For some reason, you can get one bull for $2,500 and somebody else spend $10,000 for that bull. It's, it's your, your breeding program is pretty important, but don't think that a high dollar bull means anything. A high dollar bull is not more valuable in your breeding program than than a $2,500 bull. If they've got the same numbers and they're going to make the same calf. And you know, the, like we talked about before, big cows don't necessarily mean more money. You know, you can have a nice 1200 pound frame cow and learn how to manage your grass. You cannot go lease a section of land and, you know, your local farm board or whatever says that that, that piece of land can manage 50 head of cattle. You need to go out and look at it, talk to the neighbors in the area, people that know, and, and learn a lot about soil and grass. Because that's, that's really what we're selling. We're selling grass that is being harvested by cattle. So you got you to gotta know a lot about that. That's one thing I wish I knew a lot more about was, was, was grass, even more than I do doing this for a living. That would be something super important. Manage your property, manage your grass, what you've got least. I hate to quote Bert Teichert again, but I'm going to do it anyway. He said, well, he's in Wyoming too, right? So it's perfect. Yeah. Now, Bert says at first when he got into the business, he loved his cows. And after he was in business for a while, he learned a little more. He learned to love his grass. And then lately, he's learned to love his soil and take care of his soil. And his soil takes care of his grass, which raises good quality cattle. So by focusing more on the soil, everything else follows. It's a foundation, right? Yeah. Yeah, and in this day and age, there's some old ranchers that maybe will drive by a pasture that you've had cows in, and it's it's all the way grubbed down. And there's a there's a cow turn every ten feet, every six feet, and they maybe think you ruined that. But if you if you learn about soil, you let that rest. You know what's going back into your soil from all them them cowboys laying out there. You know that in a year, that's going to be all nice bunch of grass you got there. So it's. It's, it's learning about that kind of thing. And, and another advice I would be is, you know, as far as falling in love with your cows is you've got to be kind of ruthless and cutthroat when it comes to calling cattle. If you've got this cow that's been around 10 years and she's been nice and gentle, but she's got a, a slipper toe or a lump jaw on her or something and maybe isn't going to raise the best calf, you can't afford to have her hanging out 
she got to go down the road. Or didn't show up with the calf. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, but that's my favorite cow, Drew. I've had her for 15 years. I can't sell her. Well, you, you'll make her so in a butter and eat it yourself. <laughs> You're oh. so funny. Don't sell her. Just put her in a freezer and enjoy her later. Yeah. There yep. you go. Nutrient cycling. So, so right now, what motivates you to get out of bed? What do you What do you jump out of bed? And what are you excited for every day, Drew? Well, when we first started this this beef chain deal, it was it was just an idea, and it has grown so big. I've done I never in my life thought I'd be doing podcasts and radio interviews and, and things like that. But it's it's the fact that in, it, someday we could be it, it could be back where if you want to get into ranching. You can go buy a ranch or, or finance a ranch, and you can pay with it with cattle. Your cows that you raise can pay for it. It can put your kids through college. If your wife wants to or your significant other wants to, they can stay at home, help raise a family. Because it's, you know, these ranchers are torturing themselves right now, barely breaking even because they love what they do. It's you're your own boss. You're outside every day. You know, some of them complain about the weather, but a lot of them don't because it's better than – sitting in an office somewhere. So if the, the motivation for me is I want to get it to where ranchers are doing better than breaking even, they're doing good. It's a, it's a good industry to get into where in my area right here alone, this, I, there's a 50 mile strip of highway right here. There is maybe two other guys my age that are, are still in the ranching business and their, you know, their parents or their grandparents are, are still having to, to ranch themselves because they've got bills to pay. They can't retire. You know, they can maybe have their grandson or son be the hired man, but that doesn't pay worth a damn either. But if it could be someday where you can do this till you're tired of doing it and retire, turn it over, and your son, your children, your daughter can still make good money and make a living and raise a family also, that's that's the end game. That's what I'm excited about is, is getting that goal accomplished. Kind of a common theme we... We keep hearing repeated, isn't it, CK? Healthy land, happy families, thriving communities, something, something. School that like shall our, not be we're named. A ranching for profit commercial every time. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's, it's, so, it's, it's true. Like that is the core values that we all have. My thing is, is if you have a healthy ecosystem, it's going to take care of you and your family. And if, if agriculture schools were just filling up because kids wanted to go get their ag business degree because they wanted to get into this, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Because they could. Because they well, that's could. me. That's what I did. So afford. that's how that's how we're doing it. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're making changes. So let's go way out on a limb, Drew. I'm going to put you in charge of whatever you want to be in charge of for a day. What are you going to change? charge of it as far as ranching wise or the sky's the limit you like decide. you just rubbed a lamp oh, magic on. genie popped out said drew you get one wish to do whatever you want president of the united states well if if yes yeah, so let's say if i was the president or if i had the ability to change some laws you know the the country of origin labeling thing is is, is you know a, a whole different subject i would go i would lean more towards the yeah, what is it called the, the prime act where oh, if yep. it's yeah. a state certified, and that's basically saying if if a the state chooses or something, a, a slaughter, if a slaughter facility is state certified, 
then beef that has been processed there can go to retail. Yeah. So then you're, you're getting the USDA out of there because basically if, if, a, if a slaughter facility is good enough for me and I'm a resident of Wyoming, why isn't it good enough for my buddy down the road who's a resident of Wyoming? If it's good enough for this, the people of Wyoming, it's good enough for the people of Wyoming. If it's good enough for the people of Kansas, it's good enough for them. Right. It's state certified because the one of the problems that the USDA is having is they're not able to man all these uh, processing facilities. There's not enough people working there. Well, if they have the if, choice between sending a guy to Tyson so Tyson can run an extra shift and process 6,000 head versus – sending that extra guy down to Kyle Locker to my buddy Ricky so Ricky can kill 10, where do you think he's going to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's going to go to Tyson and, and and keep that big monster monster going because those 6,000 head are going to go who knows where, all across the country. But, yeah, that is probably something that I changed that I think would help because that gives incentive to, for people to go build a custom slaughter facility. If you're in an area that's agriculture all around and people are having to haul their cattle four hours away to get cut up, you've got a you've got a client base right there and they're gonna appreciate you for it. Come you guys. Speaking Good. of that, I have news. A uh I know this won't come out for a month, but just yesterday, uh the city council in Medicine Lodge, Kansas approved the permit for a microprocessing plant. Oh, in town. I knew you wanted to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not doing it. I just know the guys well, that, guys that are. But yeah, we need it. Within driving distance. Yeah. Yeah. 20 miles. Short. Yes. Short a, driving A place to disassemble cattle in 20 miles. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's going to be a good thing for the community, even though it's, you know, two to four jobs. I mean, that's huge for a small, for a small community that's hurting. And then, yeah, and then you know, we're not sending money outside of our community local. Mm-hmm. to the Packers, and the Packers aren't making that four hundred dollars a head and sending us back crap that we didn't even raise here. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. The the restaurant that I talked to, they said they were amazed that they're they're surrounded by ranches and they cannot. It's not possible for them to get the a local ranchers beef in their store. Because all those ranchers sell through sale barns and, and private contractors, but you, you get a slap of steak on your plate there, and it might have been something that was raised in the dairy. You might be eating a Holston. You have no idea. Which it's but still it, good beef. It could still be good beef. I'm not. I'm not like you know the dairy people. You could have good beef, but yeah, but yes. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> now, there's all but sorts yeah. of different beef, and not saying that you know. But it's consistency, right? It's good quality beef that you would you know you're going to get the same consistency if you eat at the same time because that producer does it the same way or knows what, what the needs are. And and these these processors are definitely not worried about quality. It's more on quantity. Where a small the time volume. outfit like yeah. that is definitely going to be more worried about the quality of the beef that they're cutting out. Because it's it's coming from a rancher that's trying to use that to make put groceries on the table. So they're raising the best they possibly can. And not only that, you know, we're starting to keep food much more local and traceable with with things like beef chain. You know, you know where that animal came from. You know how it was treated. You know, you can go, you know, I'm when I start participating, um, 
you know, of course, like my QR code, I'd want to link back to all my social media so people could go back and see all that stuff or, you know, posts that I have with that specific animal from two, three years ago when it was a calf. Maybe it links back mm-hmm. to them if they want to know all that stuff. It's connecting consumers with the story and the people that raise their food. And, and using blockchain, that can be a window the other way, too where if you're able to track your calves, because right now I sell my calves, they go to a feedlot in Nebraska, and then I don't know where they go after that. If they're all in and up at a fine dining restaurant in in New York City or L.A., I can use that as marketing. Like, this is where my stuff's ending up, if, if the system ever evolves far enough to do that. Or if your stuff's ending up in Burger King and Perkins, you know, I, I probably should probably change my breeding program up a little bit to <laughs> get some more, some better bulls or something. But it, that's another way it can end up helping beef producers and even if you are going to direct consumer and you're going to a local restaurant because it's so local you're going to hear hey that that beef that steak i had last night was awesome or that steak was a little grisly you're gonna have to change something it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. or that burger was a little bit chewy maybe yeah mm-hmm. i also like to add in yeah i also like to add in consumers are going to actually get a get a good view of, of what it actually takes to raise an animal that it's not just flop them out and harvest them, you know, next, next fall. It's, it, there's a process. Yeah. yeah they don't just grow on trees. <laughs> a big part of this is educating people. I mean, people who knows where they think their beef comes from. I, they, they, well, I, I saw story, a TikTok right? the other day where they, they think the government's providing it to them that they're going to, quit sending food to supermarkets for some reason. Yep. Like Which is, I think, uh, why cultured meat is, I don't want to say meat, but cultured meat, right, is is people are buying into it because they don't know how their food is raised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds more uh, humane or, or whatever, but they don't. If we can educate people that ranchers are stewards of the land, if you take Absolutely. all the cattle off this land, what's going to happen to it? You know, if if the fires a couple of years ago showed us anything, it's it would be a thousand times worse. You know, down there in your guys' area, and, and all that stuff burnt up. If there weren't any cattle there grazing that for how how many years? I mean, how bad would that have been? Oh, oh I don't want to. I don't want to think about it. It was bad enough to live through it. It's I, I kind of almost have PTSD a little bit sometimes. But uh, <laughs> I, you can imagine what the cedars would look like without any. Grazing? Uh, yeah, I've seen I it. See, well, I've seen I it. I see like thickets of it. I'm like, if imagine if there's no grazing though, it would just be all that. Yeah. Ready, highly combustible forest. And if we could educate people, you know, because we're stewards of the land, we're taking care of wildlife. You know, a lot of these ranches in Wyoming have elk herds on them. If you go wipe out your whole elk herd, there's no gonna, you're not gonna have any paying hunters the next year. Deer, deer populations, antelope populations, you know, people don't, people need to realize how cattle aren't destroying sage grouse habitat. They're actually helping. And, and that's what all this is part of. We, we aren't the bad guys. We're not poisoning you. We're trying to provide you with a good product. I guess we don't need to really say who is poisoning everybody in the ecosystem. Don't really want to make too many more enemies than we already have. Uh, <laughs> 
So we are kind of we are kind of closing up today. Drew, have we left anything on the table? Uh, is there anything you'd like to ask me or CK? No, I think I think that was that was pretty good. That was a it's probably one of the best interviews I got to do. It's usually people who are more technical, more tech savvy, computer people asking me those really hard questions that I don't know all the answers to. But yeah, this hey. has been a, a fun talk. We're good ranchers and country folks, and that's who we're trying to talk to. And got to bring it down to that level. I mean, not everybody speaks computer. I don't, and I'm in tech, so. (laughs) Right. I speak cow. Yeah. Well, if there's anything else. But that's one of the fun things, getting to talk to other people in agriculture. I mean, we, we maybe raise cattle different, horses versus whatever you know but when you can get together and talk about cows and grass and stuff that's one of the main problems i'm seeing in the ag industry is is these packers have huge lobbying groups and the ranchers can't even get together in one group to create a lobbying group it's right because we can't agree on anything oh wasn't that what the checkoff was supposed to be for yeah (laughs) (laughs) but there's people who i mean i personally don't like the beef checkoff but i've got neighbors right down the road i think it's great so we can't agree on that, but we can get together and talk about cows and grass. Yeah. Just like you said, if you, you know, at the beginning of the interview, I think I, I even wrote it down um, that JBS made $34 billion last year and they spent $7 million on lobbying that gave them a $900 million contract. You know, I, I've been kind of thinking about that. That's over a 100 to 1 return on their money. There's nothing that any of the three of us can do to get that much return on our money in one year. No. And it, yeah, that's, that's good. I don't want to start on a rant about government redistribution of wealth, and <laughs> but it, it, uh, it, it's kind of ridiculous that, you know, that these three, four big protein companies have have manipulated lawmakers and manipulated the rules to benefit them and lock out smaller producers and smaller plants from coming into the market. Yep, it's scary. It's it's shameful that it's gotten this far. Well, I hate to end there, but uh, you know there is light. I think there's a lot of new plants opening up. I heard last week that there were over 30 plants uh like 38 plants that were permitted in the state of texas to to begin construction this year um you know there's one here in my community there's i i think there's at least two more here in kansas that they're working on so i think we just have to be patient and give it time and build in that extra capacity um to where we're not reliant on these big packers and their mega plants yeah, absolutely. It's got to be, it's got to be uh, producer led. We can't, can't, we can't sit on our hands and wait for the government to fix the problem because they're just not going to do it. And you know, you kind of made a point. You know, it's difficult for ranchers to get, you know, have a union or to get together as a lobbying group. And yeah, it it really is. Part of the problem is we're so spread out. There's so few of us. And the things that make sense for my friends in California don't necessarily make sense for you in Wyoming, don't necessarily make sense for my friends in Florida. But we can all agree that the cows probably aren't right, and we need to change how we're doing business, and we need more packing plants. 
So that's that's been the common theme for quite a while, and I think we can all all get to that place. Absolutely. So, guys, I think on that note, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and do some music, and we'll go ahead and get out of here for the day. Awesome. Well, gang, it's Red Hills Rancher wrapping up another episode of Reboot with my fantastic co-pilot, CK as ever. We were joined today by Drew Pearson from Beef Chain IL. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. We got a lot of the questions today out of the Ranching Reboot Paddock on Facebook. I'd encourage you to come check us out. Join the paddock. Make sure you like, share our podcast, and give us a review on Apple. That sure helps. Share us with a friend if we've helped you out and improved your life anyway or even challenged the paradigm. You guys have a great day. Red Hills Rancher, out. <laughs>